When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Beyond the To-Do List. I'm Eric Fisher and this is the show where I talk to the people behind the productivity. Not just about being more effective and efficient, but about doing life and work with meaning and purpose. This week's guest is Joel Szlovsky of the Simple Rev Conference and the value of simple. We're going to talk about, you guessed it, simplicity. We're going to talk about curation and no, not just in the, I got to curate my content so that other people can find it and, and get the best stuff. It's about curating in its truest form or forms, as we will see, there are many meanings to the word curating or different forms of meaning. We're going to talk about experience curating, how you can curate experiences and how you can experience the process of curation to gain focus, increase your influence and simplify your life. All of those things sound awesome. I'm going to listen to this episode again. Before we get into that conversation, I wanted to say thank you to the Art of Charm podcast for supporting this podcast. The Art of Charm podcast is a great show. It's an iTunes top 50 podcast. It's packed with experiential wisdom in that truest sense of the word. It's a show where you go and you listen, much like this one, to people talk about how they have done great stuff. It's fun. It's funny and educational at the same time. It's a personal growth show that isn't boring, hopefully, like how this one isn't as well. <laughs> and of course, you've got to take my word for that. The podcast has entrepreneurs, artists, thinkers, leaders, interesting people, in other words, where they come and they discuss relationships and life hacking and networking and success and time management and procrastination and all these other different things, especially different kinds of psychological principles that play out in lives of people who are successful. You deserve an extraordinary life. Go to theartofcharmpodcast.com or find The Art of Charm in iTunes or Stitcher and start taking your life to the next level. I really enjoy this show, and I think you will as well. Again, that's The Art of Charm in iTunes or Stitcher or go to theartofcharmpodcast.com. This week, it is my pleasure and privilege to bring you and talk to Joel Szlovsky. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Eric. I'm stoked. Yeah, me too. So, we, geez, it's been a long time. We talked once, We and, and I've followed you uh, intermittently with different... That's Intermittently is the wrong word. That feel, that sound makes it sound like I was following you, then I stopped, and then I started again. And then I hey, that's, that's the way that's that life not, works. It's, it's cool. That's just not the way, the way it was. I have intermittently heard your name dropped, that's a better way to put it, by all my favorite people, like 
Dan Hayes, Mike Vardy, uh, Brooke McCallery, all these different people that are doing cool things in this space. And so you and I cross over to a certain extent like that. I had to have you on the show, and I just don't know why I hadn't yet. So There's a lot of really cool people in the world. There are. And I'll get to them right away. I have the same problem that you do. There you go. You know, podcasters and digital, whatever you want to call it, what digital whatchamacallits, there's the new term. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So, Joel, I am just, I am knowing that you are just this guy, you, you fit into that group of people that are all focused in on this one word, and it's called simplicity. And people have so many different meanings that when they, they pop to mind when they hear that word, you know, I'm sure you've heard many different versions of that. What are some of those versions that you've heard? And, and what, ver- what version are you? Like, that's such a weird question. Which, which blend, which mix of simplicity am I? Well, that is a long, what's your flavor, so Joel? What's, what's my flavor? Well, I have multiple flavors, which is part of the reason why I'm kind of a simplicity iconoclast, if you will. Uh, I love comprehensive. That's what I do in my podcast. Uh, that's what I do. And it's weird. Like people think, okay, how can you have comprehensive simplicity? Well, the two <laughs> things, although they seem at odds, I like to do additional work on my side to make things really simple for my friends, for my family, for people who listen to my podcast. So my version of simplicity is doing things and adding nuance and context so that people don't need to read into something or that ambiguous complexity is removed by me giving them a little bit more or refining and polishing a little bit more. Um, I, I'm somebody, my friend Emily Wapnick, who has uh, this term multi-potentialite. I'm somebody with the diversity of passions and interests and skills. And that's the same way that I approach simplicity is it's not just a thing. For a lot of folks to kind of get to your question, uh, what is it? Normally it takes, it's physical in nature. It's how fast am I moving throughout the day? Am I literally running from one appointment to another or from one commitment to another or just rushing those kids back and forth from this thing and that thing? Uh, for a lot of folks, you look on your desk or in your home or your apartment and how much stuff is there. That's a lot of people's initial vision of simplicity is what does my physical environment look and feel like? For me, I kind of take an inside-out approach to it is as of about five years ago, my mental and emotional state was just wild, totally chaotic. And I needed to just slow the heck down and get out of my own head and get out of my own way. So I've approached simplicity really from an internal perspective of helping me figure out what does enough look like? Enough money, enough kids, enough friends. And how do I really pursue the things that add the most value to my life and others while stripping away all the things that are getting in the way? Interesting. So you're going less for a living, sp- a living space view of simplicity for more of a headspace view. or at totally. least, Or at least you're doing both of them, but you're starting with the inside first. I am. I didn't really need to start with the outside too much. I'm a, I've always been a pretty Spartan dude, liking my work environment organized and clean. And that's never really been an issue for me. I've never bought a lot of things, so I didn't need to go through a decluttering process. It's really cool, though. And this is one of my favorite questions to ask other people. What does simple living mean to you? So for some folks, it's the lightness and the freedom to not have a home and be able to freely travel around the world with just a backpack. 
and experience all these amazing things. Uh, for other people, you mentioned Brooke McCallery, mm-hmm. a good mutual friend of both of ours. Brooke did a really cool video in our What Simple Living Means to Me series for this Simple Rev brand that I've kind of co-organized. And for her, it was gardening, but not just alone, but gardening with her children and getting them invested in the land, in permaculture, in nature, and just allowing time to fade away and immersing yourself in the outdoors. There's there's a lot of really cool ways that people practice simplicity and think about simplicity. So maybe those are just uh, the flavor. People yeah. are starting to get a little bit of a taste. There's a whole lot more. There's a buffet if you really want it. Yeah, totally. Well, in the same way that I guess you could say my show is a comprehensive productivity show because in the same way, which then, what's the word? Um, I don't know. In, in a Venn diagram, simplicity would be in there somewhere. There would be a lot of crossover um, because you can go all these different places with this, you know, what are you doing? How are you doing it? What should you be doing? When, sh- when should you be doing it? And, and those are all questions that would also tie into simplicity. So. Yeah, I, I like you mentioned Mike Vardy too. I yes. love his approach. I'm not a, a productivity guy, although I like productivity. And there's a lot of folks. I mean, you're you're cool. I've listened to your show a few <laughs> times intermittently, if you will, Eric. Nice. Well <laughs> yeah. played. Thank you. Thank you. But you look at somebody like Mike Vardy, and I mean, there's a dude, he's productivityist. He's got productivity in the name, but his approach to it is simple, especially with this mm-hmm. new thing he's got going on, the now year. Yes. Uh, he and I have talked about it so far, and I love, I love that flexible, simple framework for productivity. So, yeah, I mean, I guess you can simplify anything in life, just like you can be productive with anything in life. And the two are really go, not necessarily hand in hand, but the principles that you can use for productivity and the principles that you can use to simplify your life, often when you combine the two, there's just magic that happens. Yeah, there's, there's so much crossover. There's so much. It's like Superman and Batman, basically. There, and, and, okay, Mark Vardy, so we'll go Green Lantern as yeah. well. Uh, it, it's the Justice League, so. <laughs> well, you, I mean, you, prior to your personal renaissance and the catalyst for that, which I'd, I'd love to hear you share a little bit about that, how were you, what was your view on all of this? I didn't have a view. Because I was too busy running around and pursuing things that I've now determined didn't truly matter. So yeah, to to give you a little bit of the background, I'm 35 years old now. And for the first 30 years of my life, I was on autopilot. I know that sounds weird to say, but I was. And my my life was great. I, I truly enjoyed the first 30 years of my life. But I was just following a script and checking out boxes that I wasn't, uh, that I didn't agree to and that I didn't even know that I had. So in typical American middle class fashion, give good grades in grade school and junior high and high school and play nice with the other kids and make friends and don't do drugs and go to college, maybe meet your spouse there. Check, check. I'm checking all these boxes, Eric. And then get a comfortable, high paying job. I did that. I went into corporate America and worked there for a decade uh, in the financial industry. So here I am. I'm a dude in the financial industry pretty much working solely for the paycheck. And then I had this realization when my wife, Melinda, told me that she was pregnant with our first son, Grant, which is almost five years ago to today, that what what am I doing? Like, I'm going to be a father in about eight months, and I have no idea if I'm going to be a good father. 
And in fact, I, I was really scared that I was going to be a deadbeat dad. Like seriously, not in the traditional, I'm just going to ignore you and not feed you way, but in the, I'm not going to be emotionally available to my son. I'm not going to be physically present because I'm going to be working all the time. So it was really at that point in time where my wife said, hey, I'm pregnant. And I was so excited that I also had this terror come over to me thinking, oh my goodness, there are so many things that I need to change in my life in order for me to be a good father and in order for me to also contribute in a meaningful way to the people around me. Because up until that point, it was really, life was all about me. Like the world and the universe just spun around me. And then I realized I wasn't fulfilled by that. I didn't find purpose. Uh, And also I wasn't contributing to other people in the way that I knew that I could if I was creative and if I uh, untapped some of that personal renaissance you mentioned. So how did that translate over you suddenly you have this great motivator and you have this great realization but how do you move forward from that especially when suddenly there's a nine-month clock ticking well the first thing giving up video games that was literally the first thing that i did have you ever played world of warcraft you ever heard of it i skipped over that i i kind of had my have to give up video games moment before that Okay, well, that was my, I was hooked on that game for about six years. And when I say hooked, I'd stay up until three o'clock in the morning on weekdays playing that and then barely sleeping, going to work for 11 hours as a total zombie. I have no idea, no idea how I did it. Uh, And when I wasn't playing, I was in online forums, reading about it and commenting and strategizing with my guild mates about the upcoming big boss fight. I mean, it was darn close to all consuming you were you were leroy jenkins <laughs> i was kind of yeah i didn't get to have my uh, moment it, that that is a such an old meta like that's 10 years ago meta online joke anyway that is Jeez. but hopefully other people are catching the yes. leroy jenkins I, i'm i will go ahead and put the if I, i'll find it i'll find the video and i'll put it in the show notes awesome awesome so I yeah that, do that Still searching for a great candidate for your company? Don't search, just match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch that busy work. Instead, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. I wish I had Indeed when I was in the hiring process in roles in the past because it is a slow, arduous headache of a process to find the right people, or at least it used to be, join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to find and hire great talent fast. In fact, in the minute I've been talking to you, 23 hires were made on Indeed, according to Indeed data worldwide. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash to-do list. Just go to Indeed.com slash to-do list right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash to-do list. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you enjoy Beyond the To-Do List, I invite you to check out Best Laid Plans. I'm Sarah Hart Unger, the host of Best Laid Plans, a podcast devoted to all things planning and planning adjacent. I talk about everything from paper planner reviews to deep dives into all things productivity from keeping track of goals and tasks to fitting in your true priorities and reducing the stress around planning and organizing across different areas of life. I am a practicing physician and mother of three, so I have a lot going on in my own life and am intimately familiar with the time constraints that impact us all. And I love sharing my own productivity strategies and learning from others who have their own ideas to share. 
I invite you to check out Best Laid Plans, available on all podcast platforms, or visit my website, theshoebox.com, T-H-E-S-H-U-B-O-X.com, to learn more. Step number one is figure out what is sucking up the most time and not giving me anything back. I mean, that was not just taking up my time, but also making me less healthy because I would frequently go on sugar binges while I was playing the game. I, I was sitting for six, seven hours straight without getting up. And it was just, it was a horrible thing. And I realized this is what's holding me back. Done. And I'm not somebody who deals well with moderation. I'm very much a, give me, give me rules, protocol, and some kind of constraints because without those external constraints, I just kind of go a little bit nuts, which is one of the reasons why I love, like after I gave up video games, I started to experiment with different mindsets and different systems. So I'm, I'm a minimalist. I love minimalism because it gives me a set of constraints that I find liberating mm-hmm. and I love to operate in. Same thing with this paleo, not just paleo diet, but also paleo lifestyle in terms of, hey, get your vitamin D from being outside in the sun. Yeah, You don't need to have a gym membership uh, of $50 a month in order to exercise. I can sprint down the bro- block or I can just use my arms and my legs and do squats and push-ups and pull-ups. Those kinds of things are simple. Paleo, minimalism, and as I started to get past, and, uh, and once I actually had the time after I gave up video games and I started to reorient myself, for the first time in my life, I really started experimenting with different ways of thinking and acting and being, and that's when I started to get into this whole simplifying thing. At what point did you just... Dis- discover this whole idea of curating? Well, that, so you talk about the Venn diagram, there's productivity, there's simplicity. Like for me, curating is definitely in there. And, and I kind of have a funky way of, of viewing curating. A lot of people think about a curator as somebody in uh, an art museum or uh, a librarian, an archivist, that kind of thing, which, yeah, that's the traditional way of thinking about curating. For me, curating my experiences, which, which is what I do. I wrote a book on it called Experience Curating. It gives me that lens to view what's important, what's meaningful. So here's an example. You and I were talking on a podcast, lovely podcast, by the way. And hopefully, you or I... it is, yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hopefully, you or I say something insightful or something worth noting or worth acting upon for the people who are listening. Now... The challenge is, especially with the podcast, since normally you are running or driving or doing something that you can't immediately jot down a note. If Eric, if you blow my mind right now with a quote, what am I going to do about that? So let me ask you first. If you are driving in your car and you're listening to a podcast, Eric, and you hear something absolutely amazing, how do you note that? Well, I should probably not share this, but I'm going to anyway. Um, Usually I have I, I, I am weird where a lot of people subscribe to podcasts on their phone and I do that with certain ones that I, do, you know, I want to know right away. Oh, a new one of my favorite show is out. However, I have these other ones where I will put them on my iPod and I will have them playing in the car and then my phone is in the dash probably with a uh, GPS. And so I'll just uh, tap something while I'm still looking at the road. I won't change my view and I will say something along the lines of, Hey Siri or something. And I'll, you know, just hit the speaker button and, uh, 
uh, you know, I'll I'll talk, quote it back in, and I'll have paused the podcast by the way to b- before doing this. Okay, that's perfect. I mean, that's pretty so, similar to what I do, which is I use Evernote to record that yes. note, but it's an audio note where either I'll record the timestamp, uh, what somebody just said, or my impression of it. So that context, the first time that you experience something, it could be very different if you were like, maybe I'm enraged when I'm driving. I'm not, by the way. I'm a pretty cool <laughs> dude. Uh, but based on your physical environment, your emotional mindset at that point in time, capturing the meaning of the moment when you experience it, when you experience it, I should say, or close to it, that's really important because our memories are, everyone's memory is, some people have good memories, some people have bad memories, but everyone's memories change fast. Despite the fact, and I could cite all kinds of TED Talks and scientific literature on our memories and how weird and funky they actually are, but capturing that moment as it occurs or as close to as it occurs, what you do with Siri, what I do with Evernote, that capturing process is great. Like you've you've noticed, you've had the self-awareness and the filter in your life to understand this is cool, I need to do something with it. Maybe that's archive it for future reference for a book that you're writing. Maybe it's sharing it on social media. It could be for a lot of different things. But that kind of gets into the process of curating that I like to talk about, which is filtering your experiences, having some kind of lens in which is what's meaningful or useful for someone else, and then going through this six-step process. So, and again, you you mentioned this first off when I said the word curating, that a lot of people, they hear that word curating, and, and I think they go one of two ways which which are similar. Um, they either think of somebody who's running a museum or they think of, you know, modern day, they think of like a guy Kawasaki type person who's curating other people's content to share and become an influencer and all that kind of markety speak. And uh, I walk the line there in that realm some. But um I think that there's something else where you've your 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 title experience curating could be taken Two, maybe three ways where either you're curating experiences or you're experiencing curating. What are your thoughts? It's both. Nice. And I'm glad that you did that. For some reason, I'm terrible at naming things that have two or three different meanings. It's a problem. Somebody's going to have to analyze me and figure out why I got to do these whole <laughs> double or triple meanings thing all the time. But yeah, I, I want people to experience the act of curating. The, to be your own archivist, your own librarian, because no one's going to do it for you. So many people are capturing so much these days, photos and quotes and on Pinterest and video with their phones. I mean, we constantly have the capacity to capture anything that we want, but what are we doing with it after we've captured it? Or are we mindful in the capturing process? Or are you just automatically whipping out your smartphone based on some trigger that you don't understand and start recording a video for, for a minute. So knowing why it is you are capturing something and then having a system in place. This is kind of where the nerdy spreadsheet productivity system at, system-oriented dude comes into play, at least for me. So I, I will archive that, whether it's a quote from a podcast or maybe it's a, a recipe that I just tried out. This was good, this was bad. I'll have all of these different experiences, songs that I listen to or movies or books that I read. I mean, any, anything that you can experience, you can curate if you want to, if you have a reason to. And then having an organizational system for it, starting with categories. And if you really want subcategories, 
what are the relationships between all of these individual elements that make up an experience? Who, what, when, where, why, how? All those different things. And for me, these are all columns in an Excel spreadsheet. And putting them all together, who said it? When was it? Where was I? Uh, What was the music like at that restaurant at that point in time? That provides the context that I need to reconstitute that experience the way that it occurred as opposed to the way that I remember it. And if it's useful, whether it's in business or with a friend who's in town and they want good restaurant recommendations, I can provide that. I can share it whenever I want to. Joel, we're talking a lot about this this curating idea, and I think one of the other – I think there might be a third meaning to your title – uh, I'm trying to see if I can figure out a best, the best way to articulate it. Um, the, pr- the two previous ones are that you experience the process of curating. So that's one. Um, the, the second one, which we should talk some more about now, uh, is, is curating your experience because you know, we're doing a lot of – we're doing all this documenting. But are we really doing any choosing, any curating, choosing the best stuff, uh, which is what I think of when I think of curating? But there's this third thing, which I think goes into the realm of experiencing someone else having curated. Does that make sense? Sure. So the first two are you, they're active. And the third one is somewhat passive, as in someone has done the work for you and you are benefiting from it. Yeah. And I think that's maybe the experience we have if we go to the art museum, because there it is. It's an experience. But two, somebody else has already curated everything. We just need to go and experience it. Yeah, that's why there's you and I and a lot of other folks, millions of people, What we take what we see online, whether it's a tweet or a blog post or a podcast episode, we slice and dice it. And then we add our own layers of context to make it more valuable to the people who we want to impact, who we want to have value to. So you, you're a curator in what you do. You're just as much a curator as uh, somebody who uh, has a degree and has been working at a museum for 30 years. Now, you do it in a different way. Uh, and the kind of rigor that you bring to it, whether it's academic or intellectual, is different. But the goal is to take what someone else has created repackage it in some meaningful way for the folks who you know are going to benefit from it downstream and then making sure that you're not just blindly putting it out there without some nuance and you're targeting it to the folks who really want it or need it from you. Yeah. So I think, yeah, I think you've got that third meaning pretty good. It's, it's passing, it's passing, finding and then passing really good stuff through the filter of, of me. Yeah, whether that's a TED Talk, I, I do this all the time. And I'm curious how, y- how you experience things online or offline and then how you share them. Because that last step in this, this six-step process I call focus, filter, archive, organize, contextualize, access, and share, that's the optional part. And some people love to curate in a scrapbook or in a journal or just for themselves. And that's totally cool. But you and I are very focused on how we can contribute to other people's lives. So actually, let me stop there. Let me ask you, all this stuff that you are absorbing, how do you get it out there for others to enjoy? Yeah, oh man. Um, the way that I, I, I really, when I find a source, I, I stick it in a place that I check fairly often so this would probably be, you know, an RSS feed in a, in a reader. Um, not to mention, you know, curating the, the right people that I'm following 
yeah, on various social networks. But I will go there and I will check stuff and I'll skim through and I wait to see uh, – and we're talking strictly digital sense here. Um, it comes through the feed. I'll swipe through it and I act as if I'm a consumer first. And I look to see what grabs my attention, what feels or seems interesting or meaningful first. Is there, you know, is the, is the visual there? Is the headline, do the headline and visual work together? You know, those kinds of things. Then past that point, you know, I'll mark it as I come back to. So once I've kind of said, okay, delete, 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 delete on all these, you know, uh, junk emails, if you will, um, I'll come, I'll go do another pass through it and I'll look a little deeper to see if it was just flash or if there was some substance there. And once I see if the substance is any good, I'll try to formulate a little bit of a thought on it, um, decide where it could go, what it would be best used for. Sometimes I'll save those for a while until I want to, you know, share things intermittently. There's that word again, um, out there on, you know, Twitter or Facebook, whatever, or, or if it's something, Oh, you know what? I haven't ever thought about that topic. I should have, I should look for somebody to come talk with me about that on my podcast, you know, that's kind of my process. Yeah, it's, I like your process. It's great. And I share a lot of things. So for me, one of the nice things about curating is, and I know this kind of goes counter to a lot of advice, at least that I've heard is there's, I'm not somebody who really believes in just in case, like when we go through life keeping uh, an item in our house or keeping a relationship just in case it's useful someday, in general, that's not a very healthy perspective. But when it comes to learning, when it comes to experiences, I'm very much a just in case kind of person as opposed to just in time. And I'll give you a couple of examples here. So I'm starting to get into this world of webinars and I'm fumbling around and really I have no idea what the heck I'm doing. But the good news is, I knew at some point that I would want to get into it. And as I encounter a blog post, a podcast episode, a conversation with a friend who's just a webinar genius, and there's something that he said that really resonated with me that I'm going to want to use or know when I start to get into it, I've captured all this stuff already. And now that I'm getting into it, I don't need to do any research. I already have all the best stuff that I've come across over the last few years on webinars in my spreadsheet. And it's just a matter of figuring out what are, how do I personalize that? What are my best practices? So I don't have to go hunting. I don't have to do Google searches. I already know the person that I need to follow up with or have access to the information that I need in order to get started right away. And that's one of the things that I found time and time again is there are certain things that I can anticipate needing in the future. And by curating them at the point that I experience it as opposed to at the point where I need it, I can be useful for me, but also I can provide that knowledge. I can provide that insight to other people who want to get started with podcasts, who want to get started on mindfulness. I can send them, okay, you like simplifying? Awesome. Oh, I know that you love TED Talks. Here are three amazing TED Talks that I've experienced on simplifying, and here's why I think you would love them. And I can tell somebody that because I have the synopsis or at least the way that I experienced it in my spreadsheet in a column called context. And I can tell them, here's the deal. As opposed to click this link, it's awesome. There's a very big difference that I found from just sharing something by saying, hey, click here, it's awesome. As opposed to saying, click here, it's awesome. And here's why I think you'll benefit. 
Yeah, and I think I I probably left out a step in my processes. In the end, something even if something isn't shareworthy, but it's worthwhile to me to again hold on to just in case. Uh, in that same way that you're talking about webinars, I do that exact same thing. Where it's like, man, you know, at some point I really want to, I don't know, insert interest that I have but don't have time for right now here, but. I know that, wow, this is something that has a lot of meaning. It's it's easy to understand. It's a great jumping in point or it's maybe an advanced part that I know I'll get to after that. And uh, throwing that into an Evernote to be able to just type in, you know, a couple keywords and have it pop up is one of those things, you know, to have it outside my brain, but to have it archived just in case for future for future me. Yeah, that's that's a great way to put it, too, is. When when current you, when the present version of you is mindful, when you can give your attention to what you're focusing on and really slowing down and simplifying has helped me tremendously and actually focusing and as opposed to having 10 different thoughts in my head when my best friend is telling me about something super deep that I should really be paying attention to but I'm off in my own world, <laughs> being able to focus on that person and really tune into them has helped current me really be an asset to all the millions of future me's that are going to be coming. So I, I like your perspective on that too, is using what has already happened for your current benefit. That's a big part of curating. And then taking that curating mindset of what's currently happening and trying to anticipate your future needs or someone else's future needs so that you can be a go-to resource or you can ultimately, I've seen tons of people do this, is they take this curatorial mindset and they become an expert in their niche or in their sub-niche just because they pay attention and just because they have the best resources available. Yeah. I want to take a quick break here to let you know that this podcast is supported by the Art of Charm podcast. The Art of Charm podcast is an iTunes top 50 podcast. It's packed with wisdom in the truest sense of the word from many different topics, including how to create confidence, how to get people to like and trust you, networking, relationships, productivity, time management. And it's fun and funny and educational at the same time, much like I try to make this podcast. It's personal growth without being boring. As a listener of the show, it's a show about truly leveling up your life and relationships, friendships, at work, at home, everywhere. And the show offers meaningful, fun, life-changing insights with a practical edge so that you can apply something right out of the box every show. You deserve an extraordinary life. Go to theartofcharmpodcast.com or find The Art of Charm in iTunes or Stitcher and start taking your life to the next level. I really enjoy this show, and I think you will as well. There's a connection happening in my mind right now, in fact, from this conversation, which is... Uh, we started off with the word simplicity. Then we added and talked about the word um, curating. And, you know, simplicity to me, uh, kind of my definition to it is just having what you need and 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 that's it. Um, curating is is making the right choices. So it's so if I put those two words together with my meetings or meanings, I get this phrase coming to mind that everybody knows, which is quality over quantity. Does that yep. make sense? Yep. I'm nodding my head over here. Yeah. Keep going. You're doing good. <laughs> I can't hear you <laughs> nodding on podcast, Joel. Um, 
And so this quality over quantity, this making decisions now to you know decide what is good for now, but also being mindful of the future at the same time as you're walking through. Um, yeah, it's just it, it's kind of a it's it's very much a headspace thing. Again, like you were saying, it's from the inside out, um, and in in getting those set, you know. And what other areas? Um, what other areas do you do? Or, or do you see simplicity and uh, curating applying to not just, you know, I mean, we did, we briefly touched on, you know, living space for me, you know, some people, they say the word simplicity or living simply. And suddenly I picture a guy sitting cross-legged on a wooden floor with white walls and nothing else. And that's not what it is. Although that's kind of nice in some ways. Um, yeah, I'll take it. Right. I'm not there, I, but I'd take it. I, I'd like that to be the way the inside of my mind works. So to, to move to the internal. Um, but what, uh, what about when it's not just the inside out you be, I mean, it, it, simplicity and curating. It's not, it's not about just you, I guess is what I'm saying. It's not just about how you decide to have your environment, what's around you or how, your internal environment, but also how you interact with the people in both of those situations. That, that are tied to you, that are that you have curated, if you will, into relationships with you. Well, you just hit it. So re- let's talk about relationships for a moment. And we'll take it from a couple of different lenses. First, let's talk about relationships from a curating perspective. Now, my viewpoint on this has been informed. There's a guy named Keith Ferrazzi who wrote two absolutely amazing books, uh, Never Eat Alone and Who's Got Your Back. Oh, yes. And in, yeah, you're familiar? Never Eat Alone. I've, I hear a lot of people talk about it. And, and oh. I do it too often. <laughs> let's just say, let's put it that way. One of my top five books of all time, and I don't think it'll ever get bumped from top five status, despite all of the future books that I'm going to read. I mean, it is just that good. So I look at somebody like Keith Ferrazzi, and he is a master curator of relationships. He, I mean, he's super successful in the business world. This dude's been a CEO or a CMO of Fortune 500 companies. He's just an exceptional philanthropist, has been an entrepreneur and just totally kicks butt with his own business. But he knows even in the business world that the things that are important to people, the things that he needs to remember and curate are the things that have nothing to do with business. So when, when he talks, and I love seeing him approach it, I've watched videos and, and reading his book and just following him for years. So he really keys in on things like, do you love sports? Now, that's not normally something you're sitting at this big ballroom dinner with a whole bunch of fancy pants, big shots and business, and most people are talking about business, right? Yeah. He's talking about the personal stuff, the things that, like, what's your dog's name? You have kids, What's your favorite charity? Those are the types of things that people really care about. And when you pay attention to those, when you archive them and when you bring them up in future conversations, people are wowed, just absolutely wowed. One, that you're paying attention. Two, that you cared enough to, to remember these things, whether it's in an external brain, like your CRM system or somewhere else. So I take my cues from Keith Ferrazzi when it comes to relationships. And when I am having a conversation with friends or with potential friends, I do the same things too. I don't necessarily, re- like in my Google contacts, list all of the things that happen in the conversation, but I like remembering kids' names. And that's not something that I'm naturally going to remember. My brain is super leaky. So that's one way 
that you can use that curating from a relationship perspective. You want to go on to simplicity? Yeah, let's go. So I've got a problem. Let's just, let's start here. Uh, I think I mentioned to you already that I'm a bit of an extrovert. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And the one thing that I can never have enough of is friends. Uh, my my buddy Scott Dinsmore, I remember he wrote this. Actually, I can look at my spreadsheet and give you the exact quote if you really wanted to. Uh, but he he says the same thing is the only thing that he can never have enough of is friends. And I, I kind of feel the same way. So because I'm always engaging people and trying to build community and connect people to each other, I've got a problem. Because the more people you invite into your life, the less simple it gets. Because you need to manage those relationships or, and I guess that's, that's really a bad word is I never try to manage my relationships. I'm always trying to figure out how can I cultivate them and how can they grow? Yes. And, and actually that you, you saying that reminds me of what you just said, which was that he was in a business setting. Um, what was the other guy's name? Scott, uh, not Scott Dinsmore, the other one. Um, don't never eat alone. What was his name? Oh, again? Keith Ferrazzi. Keith Ferrazzi. That he was saying, um, he was <laughs> that man. How how um, how unique? I guess it has become now that we're treating people like people instead of potential clients. You know, in this business world, it's yeah. it's a bit ridiculous, honestly. Yeah, imagine that two humans. I know. Talking to each other like they're both humans. Yeah, exactly. Not caring about social status or power or you know whether you have Oprah's attention or not, but just two human beings acting as peers and engaging each other more or less as equals. Yeah. I know that's kind of a crazy thought, but that's the way that I approach relationships, whether I'm at a, a business type of conference or whether I'm talking to my family here at home. There's really only one version of me. And this is, this is kind of what I'm getting into when it comes to simplicity in relationships. So before the pre-personal renaissance version of me, I wore a different hat. I assumed a different persona based on who I was talking to, where I was, uh, who might come into the room, all these different things. There were a thousand different versions of me. Now, there's just one. And some people don't like it. Some people don't like how casual I am in my communication. Uh, Some people don't appreciate how blunt I am. There's a hundred different things that people might not like about me, but I've learned to be authentic in how I show up. I've also learned to allow myself to be vulnerable as opposed to, you know, having talking about your favorite local sports team and the weather all the time, which is fine. I mean, I do that too. Just getting deep with people quick and that freaks people out. When I just cut past it and I start asking people questions, which kind of cut to the core of what makes us tick and who we are and what we represent, there's only one version of me now. And that is the simplest thing perhaps that I've ever done is remove all of those other versions of me and I'm just left with one. And I am so much better as a person, but also um, as a friend, as a parent as a spouse all the different roles that i assume the simplicity of just one version of me is amazing absolutely amazing yeah that's that is that i will say right now is probably going to be one of my takeaways from this um conversation because i've always had that i i am more of an introvert i i get charged up again by 
time alone instead of time with others. And so – and that's not to say I'm shy. That's a common misconception is to say that an introvert is uh, shy. In fact, it, it's really – it's two different things. It's you know outgoing and shyness is one whole other thing and then introvert and extrovert is a whole separate issue. They do have similarities and crossover and whatever, but um, – I've always thought of it as this thing where uh, I can flip the switch and, and be quote unquote on the stage and and perform and uh, and and again not putting out some inauthentic version of myself uh, when speaking with others or face to face or in you know large groups or anything. But then there was also that private me. I think that there had I think there are some versions of me, and I think that that's uh, I think there's some strength there probably for me. Uh, my takeaway again is to to take a look at that. I want to I want to observe that a little bit and see what are some of these different versions of me that have maybe uh, started to um, you know pop out or, or diversify. How have I diversified my persona? You know, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, right? We all, as human beings, I was just talking about having a human human conversation, knowing what how we're wired. Like you and I, we're wired to impress each other. That that was important for so many years to be able to impress the circles that you run in. Uh, we're wired to compete against each other because the world used to be a place of scarcity. Now I view the world as a place of abundance. And therefore, I don't really, I don't have competitors. People ask me for my business, so who are your competitors? I say, <laughs> I don't have any. Like seriously, exactly. all I have is potential people that I can collaborate with and build something together as opposed to trying to carve out something. It's why I, I try not to, this is, this is the toughest one for me, comparison. I fall into this trap all the time of comparing someone else's success, the outside that you can see to what I've experienced, whether that's how much money I make, how many Twitter followers I have. I mean, that is something that is incredibly hard for me to give up. But I realize the things that I do want to compare, if I did, are the things that I can't see. They're those internal things, the things that no one's giving you an award for. Like, do I meditate for 30 minutes every morning? I do, and I love it. And I'm a better person for it, and I show up better in the world as a result of it. You can't, you can't feel that. I, I can't get inside someone else's head and, and feel around in there and be like, whoa, there's some craziness going on in here. You really got to address that. <laughs> Or but, uh, hey, they're they're meditating for an hour a day. Man, they're they're better than me. I've done that. Heck, I was I was doing it this morning. Okay, side story. <laughs> Christopher Carter. He goes by Casey. He has a website called This Epic Life. He's doing these free weekly uh, thirty minute meditation sessions uh, via Z the Zoom platform. So it's me and about twenty other people, and we're live. By the way, he's an amazing guy, and his meditation sessions he calls the pause. I highly, highly recommend them. So here I am. I'm doing this guided meditation session. Casey's leading it, and it's a half an hour long. But I know as I'm doing that meditation session that Casey has already done an hour of meditation solo before he even got to us. And I'm thinking to myself, man, it would have been awesome to have already done an hour of meditation before I even got to this group meditation. And there I am. I'm comparing my life. I'm comparing my circumstances, my habits with KC's. And that's unfair to me and that's unfair to him. So it's, it's tough. And that's one of the major battles that I face in pretty much everything I do. 
one of the other things, uh, there's two other places we can go here with this relationship thing. One, let's do, let's touch on quickly, which is family. How does that fit in? And then let's move on to community and talk about simple rev a bit. Sure. Well, I'm kind of curious too. I mean, you're a family guy, just like I am as well. So when you think of curating the experiences that you have as a family, or when you think of simplifying, whether that's having a slow dinner with your family overnight, what, what comes to mind for you? Um, man, I, I like it. It doesn't even have to be quiet. It just has to be focused. You know, we're not doing other things. Like my phone is sitting on the charger. Um, it's in a mode where only an emergency could get my attention. Let's see. We're, we're doing something that we enjoy. We're either riding bikes or we're, um, you know, joking around or something. I don't know. It, it, it's, it's one of those things where we're all together and that's what we all want to be doing instead of being, feeling like we have to be doing. Gotcha. That's cool. And pretty much in all those, uh, you're not necessarily, uh, in front of a glowing screen. Exactly. You and I, we love our glowing screens. I mean, yeah. we're in front of them pretty much all day long and I, and I need it. We need it in order to have the kind of impact on the world that we do. But when it comes to family time, I try to avoid glowing screens, smartphones and TVs. And it's not, I mean, we were as a family, my wife, Melinda and I, and our two boys who are four and a half and two years old, we're very intentional about when we let them watch TV or what kind of shows that they're watching as opposed to just having them sit down with a remote saying, here, go, you got two hours. Uh, that's not the kind of scenario that we, that, and again, I'm just telling you what we do. I'm not trying to say that we know the right way to live or that we're doing the right way of parenting. <laughs> yes. Most of the time I think I'm doing it wrong actually, uh, but there's an example in terms of how I practice it too. Yeah. We, we try to go with that route and you know, there are issues, you know, like last night, for example, my wife had a meeting or two actually to go to after dinner. And so I was exhausted. I had been working all day. And so I was interacting with the kids. But yes, we were watching a movie together. So there was a screen involved, but we were all re- interacting and reacting to it more than we would say like a movie theater. So, you know, it was more like a, Hey, sit with me. Okay. And then, Hey, that was a funny joke and, you know, different things like that. So that was fun. Um, so screen always, you know, screen can facilitate some things, but it doesn't need, I don't want it to be as much of a crutch as, as it is in modern life. Yeah. You know, what's really cool. Just real quick audio stories. A lot of times we get our stories from videos, but there's two places. Sparkle Stories is one of them. Uh, And another one is Imagining Aloud series from uh, Parents Who, Chris and Sarah Wakecamp. Grant, my four and a half year old and I, we have subscriptions to audio stories and we listen to those. They're hilarious. I mean, we're laughing like crazy and we're using our imagination that entire time as opposed to being engaged and having the visions forced into our mind by that glowing screen. Just being able to listen to the silly story about the squirrel and the hen and all the crazy stuff that they're doing with rocket packs. Like it's hilarious and it's a super cool way. And also when you're exhausted as a parent to just be able to click play on an audio story and then just take it easy. Oh my gosh, it is one of the greatest things. And I don't know how I existed before audio stories, but I love my subscriptions. I'm going to check that out. That is a good point. And I think I actually know them. So, um, so then simple rev is this whole other, it's a community. 
In fact, it's, it's a community of communities in a way. Um, what does the REV stand for? I get what the word <laughs> simple is. <laughs> well, let's see. We've already covered three meanings with experience curating. We could probably do four or five with the rev part of simple rev. Well, so first of all, I'll get into that in a second. So simple rev in terms of what it is, it's, uh, it's me and uh, Andrea and actually one of the women behind uh, Parents Who and the Imagining Loud Audio Stories, Sarah Wakecamp. Uh, the three of us, and, and it was co-founded, if you will, by me and Dan Hayes, who, man, I miss having Dan around. Uh, he's off to some really other cool stuff too. But uh, what we're trying to do is we're trying to bring people together. We're trying to do that physically in our offline environment, but we're also trying to do that online. And we're trying to bring people together around simple living. Sometimes that's meditation. Maybe it's yoga. It could be permaculture, building your own tiny house. There's so many cool inroads to the world of simple living. But when you look at what the common threads are that run through a lot of these people who are interested in slowing down and being you know, experiencing deeper levels of gratitude, they all are trying to live life on purpose. They're all trying to find their contentment from their relationships or from their experiences and not necessarily their stuff. So we view it as our role is one, uh, to help people slow down and simplify, but two, to do that connected to each other in a community setting. Uh, and to, do you want me to talk about the rev part now? Yeah, go for Probably it. can't let that one slide, huh? <laughs> I need to know. When I, when I first thought of this concept of simple rev, I thought of the rev as in a revival so oh, REV, cool. a revival of what though? This kind of gets into my whole paleo paradigm too. Mm -hmm. A revival of our, what I feel is our ancestral birthright to be simple creatures. Okay. Yeah. So that's part. I like Two that. is a revolution, uh, a simple revolution. So let's not be luddites. We don't have to go back to prehistoric times. I love technology and I want to use it but I want to use it in a mindful way. So what does a simple living revolution in the 21st century look like? So that's the second part. And then the third part, at least from my perspective, was rev as in an engine. So the people who end up getting involved with simple rev are action-oriented folks. We love talking, we love laughing, we love connecting, but what's the point of all of it? The point of it is to take action and to make changes. Maybe they're physical changes to your appearance. Uh, maybe they're emotional changes so that you are a kinder, more patient person. Maybe they're spiritual changes so that you get closer to God or so that you start um, routinely connecting with some kind of uh, universe, whatever you believe in. But those are really the three core elements of the Rev part of Simple Rev, at least how I initially conceived of them. But it's really fun to, to see what other people think. Some people think it's a revision, like a personal revision of who they are and how they show up in the world. And I guess I kind of like it that way, to leave it open for interpretation. Okay. Well, then I will delete everything that I did. No, I'm kidding. I like that you have all three of those meetings and more, and you can attach your own meaning here. Nice. So the next one, well, I should say this, the, the next actual like you guys are putting it on uh is what beginning of october in minneapolis yeah so we've got this simple rev event we had one last year in 2014 there were 55 people from across north america who came for two days of workshops which was cool everything from going paperless 
Brooks Duncan totally knocked that workshop out of the park uh, to um, learning how to meditate, to participating in the share economy. I mean, it was all across the board, which we love. We're kind of this this meta community, if we will. Like simple living is so huge and there's all these cool groups within this world. We try to bring them together so that they can interact with each other and teach each other and, and exchange ideas and, and form really cool friendships. Uh, we're doing it again in Minneapolis on October 2nd and 3rd, that's 2015. There'll be about 100 people this time and it's workshop oriented again. Going back to that whole action oriented, uh, we want people to participate in Simple Rev as opposed to attend. So again, we're active as opposed to kind of that passive nature of attendees. So it's I'm I'm thrilled, and and everyone else who's in kind of the Simple Rev world is Joshua Becker and Farnoosh Brock, Courtney Carver, Cheryl and John Francois Moreau. I mean, my. My boy, Donnie McLurkin of the Post-Growth Institute, we have a lot of really cool key participants. Uh, and we're looking for folks who you've never heard of before to also play a key role, to share their story uh, and to offer up a skill there. That's nice. one of the core principles of it is it doesn't matter how many Facebook fa- friends you have or whether you're even online, everybody has something to contribute. And we just create the environment for that contribution to happen. That's great. Well, I was looking at it and I, I think that, uh, you know, Minneapolis is basically one short flight away from where I am. So I'm looking to make sure I can be there to participate as well. Oh, dude, I would love, love to have you there. And hey, yeah. if you can think of a nifty way to contribute, whether that's in person <laughs> or remotely. Yeah. Let's talk. Let's do that. Let's, let's talk off line. This this is this is the is a podcast online if it's while we're recording it. I don't know. That's another meta conversation to have. But uh Joel, this has been fun. I think this you need to be back on the show again sometime. And in fact, you have an awesome podcast in and of itself as well. Let's talk let's tell people where we can find they can find that and where they can find you. Oh, thanks, Eric. I think I'm blushing right now. I'll have to look in the mirror <laughs> after we're done. <laughs> I, uh, I am currently at valueofsimple.com. That's my home base on the interwebs. And that's where you can find my podcast, Smart and Simple Matters. Um, if you want to know more about this Simple Rev thing that we were just talking about, there's a link there to Simple Rev, you know, Facebook and Twitter, everything is there. But valueofsimple.com is really the hub. And on my podcast, it's Really, it's the favorite thing that I do. I, I just like you. I just love, love podcasting. We're about seventy-five episodes deep, and uh, I get to talk to all these amazing people about uh, all these topics that we've been covering. And every once in a while, I'll go solo. It's a lot of fun. That's awesome. I think listeners of of this show are going to probably find a lot of crossover over on that show, and and to be able to dig deeper and even broader in some senses. So check it out. Joel, thank you so much for being on the show. It was great having you. Yeah, thank you too, Eric. I appreciate it. Well, I hope you liked my conversation with Jay-Z. I mean, Joel Zaslavsky. It really was fun. It was a fun conversation to talk about simplicity and curating and how to make the right choices based on quality over quantity and about how to think about benefiting future you as you make these decisions. Thanks again, Joel for joining me. And thanks again to the Art of Charm podcast for supporting this episode of Beyond the To-Do List. Again, the Art of Charm podcast is another podcast where you can go and listen to people talk about how to level up your life. You can find the Art of Charm podcast at 
theartofcharmpodcast.com or in iTunes or Stitcher by searching for The Art of Charm Podcast. If you're out and about and you don't want to have to go back and try to find the show notes for this episode later, I've got an easy new trick for you. All you need to do is text the word BEYOND to the number 33444. That's BEYOND to 33444. Thanks again for listening. I'll see you next episode. Beyond the To-Do List is a proud member of the Noodle Mix Network. Find more of our award-winning and award-nominated podcasts to make you think, laugh, and succeed at noodle.mx. Learn how to podcast, theorize over the TV shows Once Upon a Time, Once Upon a Time in Wonderland, and Under the Dome. Laugh with our clean comedy, delve into science fiction and philosophy, learn critical thinking from movie reviews, and more at noodle.mx.